You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. In this prison, and Lee Williford had lots of questions. It was a very eager uh, guide. I, I get the sense in some of these places that they don't have people that ask a lot of questions, but Lee was just peppering her with questions. We were down inside in this stone area, and she's on the steps, and I started saying, thinking, you know, I sure would like to get out of here. I wish Lee would quit asking so many <laughs> questions, uh, but it, it gave you a little bit of a sense, and that was no sense at all of what Paul was like. When he dictated his letter, he would have had to call up through the hole in the floor. How could he do that? Well, very likely some of the guards were converted and sympathetic to Paul's teaching on Scripture. And so Luke, most likely, would have been up top taking dictation. So the way <clears throat> that Paul addressed Timothy in his letter, 2 Timothy, last letter that we have written by Paul, indicates that Timothy, again, it's just one of several places, uh, indicates that Timothy was a fearful person. Timothy's knowledge of Paul's location didn't help calm him. But Paul's words, which were in reality God's word, likely did calm his spirit. So to get a, a feel for the context of today's passage, I want to read 2 Timothy 1, <clears throat> verses 1 through 7, then we'll settle in uh, with verses 6 and 7. It's our custom to stand as the scriptures being read. So I'll ask you if you would please stand out of respect for God's word. 2 Timothy 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, life we have sung about all morning, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt, dwelt first in your grandmother Lois, and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this re reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Let's pray. <coughs> Father, There are so many times in this life that our focus is off of you. In fact, maybe it would be more fair to say that uh, the times are far too few when our focus is on you. It doesn't mean that we need to be constantly all day long reading the Bible and praying, but we ought to always be aware of your presence and the, and the blessed Holy Spirit who lives inside of us, makes us aware 
of your power and strength and courage in places of difficulty. And today, we pray that we might gain strength from your word, from the power of the Spirit living in us. As we think about your magnificent plan, Father, and that included Jesus dying for us. And so, may we become more and more like Jesus. And we know sometimes that means going through difficulties and so today, may we find courage and strength from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, MBC. What do you do when you know Scripture very well and you face a problem that just feels bigger than you? It's like, I'd go to those... I'd go to the Word, but I know it, and it's not helping me yet. When you stop and take time and sit down and read Scripture, God begins to work in your heart and life in an amazing way. This was an encouraging word from the Apostle Paul to a fearful minister who was and is deeply loved by the Lord. In verse 6, Paul reminded Timothy that God had given him both a good family and a spiritual gift. To preach the gospel to believers and unbelievers alike. Look, some of you come from wonderful families. Others of you don't come from wonderful families. Nonetheless, God deeply loves you and cares about you. Encouraging Timothy to fan and to flame the spiritual gift that was inside of him already did not indicate that he was on the sidelines. Uh, Paul thought that Timothy was on the sidelines. He would simply encourage him to continue stoking the flame of what God had already begun to do in him so that it would burn brightly. Timothy knew, just as Paul knew, that the political tides were turning against Christians and all those who followed Jesus were going to find life quite challenging, quite difficult, and at times very painful. I mean, look at where Paul was. Nero was the emperor. He needed somebody to blame <laughs> And so he was looking closely at Christians. So Paul knew that such prospects had the potential to cause paralyzing fear in Timothy. But he charged Timothy not to succumb to that which most certainly did not come from the Lord. But rather to submit to the alternatives to fear that the Holy Spirit had provided. Power, love, and self-control. Look again at verses 6 and 7. For this reason, Paul said, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. You know what that's like when the campfire starts to die. You know, when you're trying to take a, a paper plate or something and, and get, the, get that oxygen to it and fan it back into flame and he's saying do that with these gifts that are in you for God gave us a spirit not of fear but of power and love and self-control well you might say that's a very nice verse but I'm still afraid will I ever get rid of this fear well not likely not in your own strength anyway God has made you the way he has for a reason. I'm going to talk about this throughout uh, this morning. And if you're a fearful person, God doesn't want you to be fear. The fear didn't come from him, but he knows what you're susceptible to. 
And he puts you in the places that he does for his reasons. Again, we'll get to all of that. God can deal with this fear for and through you by the power of the Holy Spirit. The word fear comes from the Greek word delia. And, and it carries the idea of cowardice. How will we overcome debilitating fear that seems to be our constant companion? Well, Paul lists three alternatives, beginning with power. Some of you are, are, are living away from home for the first time in your life. And probably already you have had several calls from home and you're Maybe your mom is saying, now remember, floss every day, floss your teeth, um, and take your contacts out at night, and remember, your dad's saying, remember, there's somebody at home who loves you, and you're like, oh, mom, thank you so much for reminding me of this stuff, right? And you're like, dad, I'm an adult, all right? Treat me like an adult. That's really funny, isn't it? Dad, I'm an adult. I'm not a child. Though you may not know it now. Sometimes it's reminders of the most basic responsibilities or statements of truth that we need to hear when the footing seems a little bit unstable. Look, a lot of you are athletes, right? So the coaches tell you the fundamentals of the game during practice. But in the game, they don't ever remind you of the fundamentals, right? No, they're screaming it the whole time, you know. Get low, get low, watch behind you, watch to the... They're reminding you of the basics of your particular sport. Paul reminded Timothy that the fear inside him did not come from God. He also reminded Timothy that God would give him power to overcome those fears. But it would be a power... Outside of himself. The Holy Spirit would get him, give him power to overcome the destructive effects of fear. And that's good news for all of us. You know the, the negative effects of fear, don't you? I mean, fear can have a destructive impact on our health. In 1 Timothy 5.23, Paul told Timothy to take a little wine for his stomach's sake. Indication possibly that, 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 that Timothy was quite nervous and his fears worked on his stomach. You know what it's like, don't you? I mean, fears keep us from eating and sleeping properly. And, and pretty soon, stress takes a toll on our health. Jesus promised that the, that the helper or the comforter would come to be with us always. And the Holy Spirit will calm our fear if we yield to him, yeah, I tried that and it doesn't work. What, hang on, we're just getting started today. The Holy Spirit will calm our hearts if we will yield to him. Fear also has a destructive effect on our relationships. When fears dominate us, we can become really self-centered, right? You know, you're talking with a good friend of yours and there's a pause in the conversation and you say... You know, and you just go back to the thing that you go back to every single time. And after a while, friends start to say, you know, maybe I won't make that call this time. Maybe I won't. Look, there are times we all, as listeners, as carers, we need 
to, to give ourselves fully to people who are hurting. And, and not arrogantly, but just be thankful that the Lord is, has, has delivered you from maybe some of the problems this person has or, or from a spirit that is overly wrought with fear. But, but if we let fears dominate us, it can mess up our relationships with other people if we're not careful. And fear will have a destructive effect on our productivity. I think most of us have personal experience in this, this department. I mean, fear just paralyzes us. I, I would go to the doctor, but I'm just so scared of what he's going to tell me. You know, or uh, I, I, I would write this paper, but I don't know what to write. Then you write it the night before and get a really good grade on it. But the fear keeps you from doing an even better job on it. Or you're on your way to witness to someone and then you just talk about other things. Winston Churchill knew the paralysis of fear as he, when he was prime minister of Great Britain in World War II. Churchill said there are two things that everybody wants uh, in war. More time and assurance of victory. And war affords Neither. See there? There's the call right there. Action. But if you're paralyzed, it's just going to keep ringing. Fortunately, you got it off whoever it was. Um, let me make sure mine's off. Um, think about it. More time, assurance of victory. War doesn't allow for that. Neither does life. Life just moves on. We're like, wait, 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 what, just, what? No, I'm sorry. It's too late. Unfortunately, there are no guarantees, which is why we need the Lord to give us his courage. We also need God's love. Now, now this is an interesting contrast to me. I mean, we get it when, when Paul says, God has not given you the spirit of fear, Timothy. It didn't come from the Lord. He's given you power. We would also understand if, if he said, God didn't give you this hatred that you have for people or this bitterness in your soul, but he gave you love. But this is an interesting contrast. God didn't give us fear. He gave us love. How does love overcome fear? Well, think about it. It takes the focus off ourselves and puts it on others. It causes us to always prefer others' interests over our own. And again, I know you already do that, but let's just think about it a little. No, we don't. We are possibly, I did not think it was possible. We continue to get more and more selfish. And I'm not talking about those of you who are young. I'm talking about every one of us. We are more and more self-focused every day. And, and so often, it is someone else who is the cause of our fear. Someone who has been cruel to us. Or someone who may think we're an idiot if we speak to him. And we're angry with him before we even give him a chance. Well, I'd say it, but I know what you'd think of me. Then because we need someone to blame, our fears turn into bitterness. Love drives out fear by helping us overcome bitterness and again three places we need to overcome bitterness first of all toward others love overcomes bitterness towards others which gives us the courage to treat them as we should regardless of how 
they treat us. Look, I used to say this to youth leaders all the time. You've got to care enough about the students under your care to not care what they think about you. That's true for you parents, too. Okay, we're going to... This will be the, that's the first of two plugs I'll make for our parenting class coming up. You've got to care enough about your children not to care what they think about you in the moment when there's this argument going on and you're teaching them the right thing and they are not inclined to do uh, the right thing. Just think about how Jesus treated us, what he did for us. We've been going through this series in Isaiah, and we'll jump right back in next Sunday. And one thing you understand when you read Isaiah is how God feels about sin and about our rebellion. And every one of us is born. We are all born walking away from God in sin and in rebellion against God. In fact, Scripture goes so far to say we're the enemies of God, and we don't like to think of ourselves that way, but when you understand everything it's saying, you recognize <clears throat> that the punishment Jesus took upon himself in our place was nothing less than the wrath of a righteous and holy God. We were talking about that in class this morning, in the Grace Connection class, and the beautiful truth of Jesus on the cross after the Father had turned away from him, poured out his wrath on Jesus. And Jesus saying, it is finished, paid in full, complete. What I have done for those who will repent and believe me is done. It's finished. Our anger towards others is nothing close to the righteous anger that the Lord would have been justified in making all of us pay for throughout eternity. Our sins were on Jesus. He loved us despite our sin. We are called to sacrificially love others rather than succumbing to bitterness. And when we love others, despite what they've done to us or might do to us, then the fear begins to subside a little bit. Not only do we need to overcome bitterness toward others, but also toward ourselves. And the fact is, while it may appear to all the world that we are pretty high on ourselves, uh, Allison, one time we were joking around, I said something and she said, oh, so you've got tickets on yourself, do you? I love that. I love that phrase. I've never heard it before. You got tickets on yourself. You're buying tickets because you think the performance is going to be so good. Is that what it, what it is? You got tickets on yourself. And I laughed and said, well, of course. I, no, I didn't say that. <laughs> Even though in many ways we love ourselves deeply, oftentimes we're pretty frustrated with what we, we lack, whether in physical appearance, uh, personality, whatever it may be, gifts and abilities. We don't like ourselves very much. And we really don't like it when our fears keep us from doing the right thing. When we dislike ourselves, it is impossible to freely give to others. Therefore, we need to love ourselves. Not in a narcissistic, self-absorbed kind of way. But we need to appreciate the way that God designed us. And be grateful for the Imago Dei that we see in the mirror. 
We are made in the image of God. We do others no good when we're bitter towards ourselves, when we hate ourselves. Love helps us overcome self-hatred and self-defeating attitudes, which are really nothing more than pride disguised in this self-hatred. Love ultimately helps us overcome bitterness, not only uh, toward others and toward ourselves, but toward God. I, I doubt you like thinking of yourself as bitter and angry uh, toward God. But if you are angry about your circumstances or your personality, the way that you are, ultimately, who are you frustrated with? Job knew this. It's God. He's the one who has allowed this. He's the one who is sovereign over all things. So why is it this way? If God is all-powerful, then he's responsible for my circumstances, for the person who has evoked such fear in me. And the Lord certainly must have made me the big mouth of the fearful wreck that I am. The first and great commandment, according to Jesus, is to love the Lord your God with all your strength, all your mind, all your, all your soul. Uh, in every way, love the Lord your God. And then the second commandment is like the first. Love your neighbor as yourself. Knowing how difficult life can be, a great deal of trust is required for those who love God. Look, the rain falls on the just and the unjust alike, and it feels like I know to the like it did to the psalmist in Psalm 73. Sometimes you go to the Lord and just sorrow is wrung out of you and wrung all over you. It's just like you have all of these difficulties, and what has my relationship with the Lord done for me? Well, again, the focus is in the wrong place, isn't it? I'm angry with God because things are the way they are with me. But when I love God, I trust Him that He knows best for what's going on in my life. Even this poor health. Even this trial, even this person who has hurt me so deeply. Love overcomes fear. It's a wonderful alternative to, to fear, as is the last of all, self-control. The King James Version uh, rendering of this word is a good one. A sound mind. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. We make a lot of bad decisions based on fear, don't we? We allow our fears to keep us from witnessing, and the moment has passed. We refuse to confront our children with our concerns about their behavior, and then it's too late when we do. And again, that's a plug for the parenting class, third Wednesday night of the month, here at the church beginning in September. Uh, President Roosevelt said, very soon after Pearl Harbor was attacked, we have nothing to fear but fear itself. I'm not exactly sure how you spell that. It may be unbiblical because it's not uh, spelled the same way. It's not pronounced the same way. But it's true, isn't it? And by the way, I'm not making a case for that statement belonging in Scripture. But all truth is God's truth, right? And Paul actually used a pagan playwright when he quoted something in 1 Corinthians uh, 15. 
Evil company corrupts good manners. Evil associations corrupt good manners. So when Roosevelt says, we have nothing to fear but fear itself, that is so often the case for us. A sound and disciplined mind moves us from fear to courage, which again does not mean that we won't be afraid, but we will act in the power of the Holy Spirit. Scripture has a lot to say about such a mind. Instead of fear, power, love, self-discipline, self-control. So how might we overcome fear? I'm typically not a fan of lists, especially how-to lists, but it just so happens that there is a how-to list, how to, to deal with debilitating fear. I'm not going to give scripture for these points, but they are all biblical principles. So here's the first one. If you are afraid, if, if, if fear just dominates your heart and life, spend more time in the Word. That is the beginning of faith for all of our problems, more time in the Word. Look, I, I know this is going to sound crazy, but there are times when I'm reading Scripture... It's not crazy to say when you read scripture, you feel this peace come over you, especially when you're really anxious. But it might sound crazy to, to say, when I'm reading scripture, I can almost feel the Lord changing me as a human being. I, I, so many times I try to change my behavior and I don't do so well. And then I read about it in scripture and it's like the Lord just settles my heart and mind and I sense that this is what's going to change me, not me. It's coming from the Lord. The scripture is the living word of God. Romans 10 says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. The word of Christ in Romans 10, 17 most likely refers to the gospel. One of the reasons that we need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. It, it refers to the gospel uh, more so than all of Scripture. And there's a lot more to the explanation uh, for Romans 10. But the principle is true that the more time we spend in God's Word, the more our faith is increased. Second, pray specifically for victory. Don't be content with, Lord, help me to overcome my fears. Pray for God's supernatural power to enable you to overcome your fear in witnessing with your roommate. In fact, ask God for an opportunity that, is almost, that almost forces you to share your faith with your roommate. Be specific about the fear that you want the Lord to overcome for you. Third, confront the problem. Don't run. You know, in track and field, there are two basic types of runners, sprinters and long-distance runners. Now, you're probably offended if you run 400, 500 meters, but I, you know the point. Either you're giving it all you got or, or you're, you're pacing yourself. If, you're, if you run 100 meters, you're going to give it everything you've got for the entire, uh, well, in my case, 20 seconds that I would run, you know, just <laughs> giving it all I got. <clears throat> if you're running a mile, two miles, you're, gonna, you're not going to do that. You can't do it. You'll wear out. When it comes to trials, I can be uh, a hybrid, a really unusual athlete. I, can, I turn into a long-distance sprinter. I mean, I, when something comes along that causes me fear, I may turn away and just start running. And then 
you know, weeks down the road, I find that I'm running just as fast as I was when I first started running. Uh, that's foolish when you think about it, though. Because that only works if I'm able to outrun the Lord. Now, it wasn't Jonah's fear that caused him to try to go away from Assyria, from Nineveh. It was his anger about God wanting to save, God's plan to save the Ninevites. Jo uh, Jonah was a racist. It wasn't that he was fearful. He was when, when he finally did end up preaching to the Ninevites and they repented, he's like, didn't I know this was going to happen? This is the very reason I didn't want to come here and preach because I knew you were going to save them. But Jonah couldn't outrun God. Neither can any of us. Since the Lord knows what is best for me, and he will keep giving me the opportunity to deal with this fear until I deal with it, or he deals with it through me, then I'm going to see it again. Aren't you glad that the Lord doesn't just leave you where you are? I mean, you think about teachers, parents, coaches, employers who have challenged you to become more than you are, and you... You were able to rise above where you were at that point. The Lord is so much better than that, than any human being. Sometimes he does it in ways, though, that are a little bit difficult and painful for us. But confront the problem. Don't run. Better to face your fears than running from them. Fourth, expect setbacks. I once heard a wise old gentleman say that life became a lot easier for him when he realized that this is a sinful and imperfect world and there ain't nothing going to go right, no how, no way, no time. Now, poor grammar, but it's a pretty good description of the world. And when you recognize that life is, can life stay this good? No, it can't. It's not going to stay as good as it is for you right now. Is it always going to be this bad? No, it could get a lot worse. No, I'm sorry. I don't mean to discourage you. But, but most likely you're going to come through this, but then there are going to be other challenges. But when we recognize that this is not the kingdom of God fully come, the kingdom of God is here already, but it is not yet fully here. And when the kingdom of God is fully here, then we will no longer even wonder if it's ever going to go bad. It will always be good. It will always be. God is moving us toward that day. But in the meantime, expect setbacks. A lot of times we're facing something that scares us. We work up the courage to do something we never thought we could do. And our worst fears are realized. <laughs> and so we say, well, fool me once. Shame on you. Make a fool of me twice. Shame on me. I'm not going to do that again. Look, that's life. Do not expect life to be easy. Just do the right thing and expect setbacks. Fifth, remember if you fail, you may have lost the battle. But you have not lost the war. We tend to think that this particular incident... This failure defines me fully. Uh, back to track and field. We're, we're prone to think of life as a series of 100-meter dashes. But it's not. It's a marathon. And we're in the race the whole time. 
we give up way too easily when God has put us in the very Hebrews 12, 1 to 3 race that he's put us in. Henry Ford, who said a lot of really stupid things, also said, though, a good thing. Failure is simply a way to start over with better wisdom. Now, look, if I'm just promoting the American dream, that's, that's a bad deal. But that's a biblical, it is a biblical principle that we learn from our mistakes and that God gives us wisdom. Now, it's better if we don't learn from our mistakes. As someone said, experience is expensive and wise is the person who buys it secondhand. That's true. Uh, look and learn from other people's bad choices and bad decisions. But sometimes our own failures or the things that go wrong in our lives Help us to understand a better way of approaching it in the future. So aren't you glad for the opportunity to experience the grace of God helping you learn from mistakes and failures? And it's not over when, when you've blown something royally. Sixth, thank God for all victories. We often plead in earnest for God to help us with something. And then when he answers our prayers, we thank him in passing on the way out the door to celebrate with our friends. When Jesus healed the ten lepers, how many came back to thank him? One. One leper came back to thank him. And it moved the Savior. It moved him. Now, before I say this, First of all, do you think all of them were grateful for being healed? If you know anything about leprosy, you know that these guys were feeling general feelings of gratitude. But only one came back to thank the Lord. And it moved Jesus so much that he said, where do you suppose the other nine are? You don't suppose they're out feeling general feelings of gratitude, do you? They were out celebrating, not free from the leprosy. How were they free? Because Jesus healed them. He cleansed them. They didn't thank him. When you offer focused praise and gratitude for something the Lord has done in your life, the success that the Holy Spirit has given you will be, in, be reinforced as you acknowledge the source of your strength. And it also will help you the next time you face a fear. You remember what God has done for you. And he's part of the equation before you even enter the next valley. So last, look for new heights. Now I'm going to go old school on this illustration. It's from the world of golf, but you'll be able to appreciate the lesson even if you're not a fan. I feel so sorry. I've heard from several of our members who have just taken up the game of golf. I'm very sorry for you. Uh, it may be enjoyable now, but there'll come a day when you get good enough. It won't be enjoyable anymore. You know, you're always wanting to get better when you <clears throat> start having any level of success <clears throat> in golf. Uh, in the 60s, <clears throat> 70s, and 80s, there were a lot of colorful players on the tour. Lee Trevino, Chichi Rodriguez, you don't know those names. But you do know uh, Arnold Palmer and Jack Nicklaus, probably. Now, look, it's, granted, it was before, it was before Tiger Woods. And, and, and Jordan Spieth. But I imagine a lot of you have heard of Arnold Palmer or Jack Nicklaus. I don't suppose anyone has dominated golf in the way, in the last 75 years, the way that 
that Nicholas did. Not even Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods was on his way until he was derailed. And he may not be done yet. But in the late 60s, 70s, 80s, Jack Nicholas dominated the game. Anybody know who Johnny Miller is? The annoying, I mean the announcer on NBC, uh, Golf. Johnny Miller did something in 1974 that nobody had done since Palmer did it in 1962. He won eight tournaments in one year. It was a big deal in that day, especially with the competition. Arnold Palmer, Gary Player, Jack Nicklaus, and Johnny Miller won eight tournaments. It would be like someone, maybe Justin Thomas, winning eight tournaments with Tiger Woods when he was in his heyday. And a lot of people said, Miller is the real deal. He's going to give Jack a run for his money as to being the most dominant golfer. Well, I thought you would get this, but I'm going into so much detail, maybe you're missing it. I hope not. Later, someone asked Johnny Miller. It just never happened. He didn't really reach those heights. And someone said, what was the difference between you and Jack? Everybody thought you were the next Jack Nicklaus. And then it just fell apart. He said, you know, whenever Jack reached the top of the mountain, he looked for another peak to climb. He said, whenever I got to the top of the mountain, I stopped to enjoy the view. Look, there are times... When the Lord allows us to fail. Because this is not about self-effort. Now the analogy I just gave. You could turn it into that very easily. Work hard. Don't ever take your eye off the ball. You're going to get there. If you will just work hard at it. Sometimes the Lord allows us to fail. To remind us that our strength is in Him. But one thing that is is true about the Lord's work in our lives. It's never static. It's always dynamic. The Lord is always trying to move us forward, even if it feels like we're going way backwards. When you quit thinking about the Lord, you're going to stay where you are, and then you're going to be going backwards. When He is first place in your life, when you're giving Him your heart, then he's going to be moving you forward. Look, for a lot of you freshmen, can I say this? Some of you are going to walk away from the Lord. Some of you who are 30 and 40 and even 70 may walk away from the Lord. Finishing well is a lot more difficult than starting well. Some of you are going to walk away from the Lord. And then... When you're married, especially when you get that first child, when, the, when God blesses you with the first child, you're going to think, oh, we need to be back in church. Don't let it lapse between now and then. You never are going to get that time back. And especially if you're a student, there's stuff going on physiologically in your brain where you are able to learn more right now than you ever will be at any other point in your life. God just made us that way, which is the reason I always encourage those, especially those under 25, to, to memorize Scripture. All of us need to be memorizing Scripture. But especially if you're long, young, it is not the time to say, I'm just going to live for myself a while and maybe I'll come back. Or I'm just going to put God sort of in the back. No. Right now. Be looking for the things that God wants to do in you. And a lot of what He wants to do is just to teach you about Himself. And the more you know about Him, the more... You succeed in your walk as a believer, and the more 
you're able to deal with the fears that come to you. Unexpected. And sometimes totally from a place you're not, ex you, you, you're not looking for. Uh, when, when Satan comes at us, he doesn't oftentimes come at us right from the front. He blindsides us. He hits us. We never see it coming. We're never expecting it. So we need to be walking with the Lord. If you are a fearful person, remember this. God is sovereign. And he loves you. If you belong to Jesus, you're going to hear this a lot if you keep coming. He views you differently than you view you, yourself. When he looks at you, he sees Jesus and he's pleased. You are not defined by your fears, by your emotions. If, if this whole thing, I, I think the thing that I want to know more than anything else when I get to heaven is how did it all work together? And everything that's happening all over the world is part of God's design and part of his plan. And it has been since creation. But if you, if this is, this whole thing is a puzzle, then you are exactly the piece that he has designed for you to be right where you are. Don't look at yourself and say, well, I can never do this, I can never do that, or I'll never. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about us. It's about Jesus and his glory. When we come to the end, we will finally, we will fully realize what we claim to believe now. That this life is a blink. It's a blink of an eye. But those who belong to Jesus will sing his praises forever. God has not given you a spirit of fear but of power, of love, and self-control. And he's worthy. Why is he worthy? Because of who he is. There used to be a very common prayer. Lord, we do not thank you for your works. We thank you for who you are. We can thank God for who he is, but we don't know him apart from his works. So much of what is said in scripture about glory to God is because of what he has done for us. What has he done for us in this area? He's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. Let's pray. And as we pray, I'm going to also be praying for our benevolence offering. On the last Sunday of the month, we take an offering uh, in order to enable us to share with those who are in need, first in our body and then outside of our body. And things come on us unexpectedly. So one of the ways that we communicate our love to Jesus and for Jesus is by helping those who are in need in the same ways that he has so graciously helped us. Father, We are a needy people, and it's a mercy and a grace and a blessing when we recognize our need, because then our eyes are turned to you. Well, not always. Not always do we turn to you. Sometimes we 
just try to find more energy within ourselves and strength within ourselves or resources. Lord, may we recognize <laughs> that you are the one who has designed us as we are and you have a plan for us. You have given us power, a heart of love and spirit and self-control to overcome the fears that are so debilitating in our lives. And Lord, we recognize how great you are, both in the things that we know about you through your word and also the things that you have done in our lives. And we give you praise. And we say these things in Christ's name. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.